Uh, are we episode 14, by the way? I'm making it up every week. I don't remember. I, it doesn't matter. I think, episode I think, 17. Yeah, episode 17. Because that's his number. Let's do, I think we should do that. Exactly. All okay. right. All right. So welcome, everyone, to episode 17 of the Edge Grip podcast. And with us today is world champion and an extremely accomplished racer and human being, Miguel Duhamel. Miguel, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank Great you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Can, can you believe we're getting those type of guests? Uh, we are honored and humbled and uh, very, very lucky. Yeah. And Especially being nobody in the racing world. What are you talking about? Nobody. You're you're a two hundred two in Fontana, right? That's that's like record record pace. Yeah, too many. It's twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and and Miguel actually lives ten minutes away from me, um, so that's why we're doing it over the internet and not at my house. <laughs> yeah, could have drove, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, using the. the all the internet power. The internet. Vegas actually has it better. Make it convenient. Vegas has better internet than, than LA. So that, that's why. Yeah, well, no. I'm sure there'll be a part two of this. Then maybe I can go to your house and do it there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> next next to my Bimota. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that, that, that bike, every time you say Bimota, I always think of Anthony Gobert when they, they hired him to race that thing and he won in the rain. And, that's that's what my head goes to, of course, being a racer. <laughs> you, you know, I haven't ridden it. I haven't ridden it yet. It's been in my garage for two weeks, and I'm waiting for a DMV appointment. And DMV appointments, as you probably know, are like a month away. So there's still two weeks until yeah. I go there and register it. But, you know, that's yeah. that's the government well, for the it. The same thing happened with my NSX. I drove it up from Florida, and they didn't have kilometers on it, so I had to go to DMV and... And it turned into such a problem. I left my car parked for 10 years. Like I just drove it around the garage, started once in a while. <laughs> so it's got low mileage. And when I went to sell it on um, Bring a Trailer, a lot of people like, this is suspicious. There's no way a 97 car has got this low miles on it. You know, I'm like, well, you don't know a racer because I was almost never there. And when I was, I just started it. And it's a long story short. Anyway, I sold it. And uh, that was fun. I sold my two cars. I sold my Zanardi and I sold my uh, regular ASX. I was going to keep it, but... Uh, I got a nice uh, Mercedes SUV and I love that and running out of space, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I had to do what the, the that's was, was good. Great the, cars. Yeah. The NSX is a collector car now and it probably doesn't help oh, yeah. that, uh, uh, registration in, in Nevada is like 600, 700 bucks a year. A lot of people don't know it. They think that that's the state doesn't have any state income tax in it and mm -hmm. it doesn't, but they can, <laughs> they get you on everything you do here. Well, yeah, and that's why you see Montana place in Las Vegas, you know, and stuff like that. You're like, hmm, that's a long drive. Yeah, I really want to register it. Uh, so, so yeah, Miguel, you uh, first of all, thank you, thank you for joining. And you, you started racing at the age of nine, motocross. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you had you had a formidable father that that's also a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and was it absolutely. ever an option, or did did you get like a motorcycle in your crib as as you know you were lying there at the age of three and there was a motorcycle you were hugging instead of a teddy bear? Yeah. Basically, that's about it. My dad loved racing, and he he treated us all to a motorcycle very young. My brother had it when he was I think two and a half, three, and I got mine when I was three and a half. Rode around. There's many pictures of me on the bike, and 
I think he almost invented the training wheels. He went to the local Canadian Tire in Canada, which is like an Home Depot, and got little wheels and bolted on the bikes to make sure I'm when we first started and with the throttle and and he tied a rope to the bike. So when you know he would run behind us and tell us what to do. Not like you see a lot on on Instagram and YouTube, people like, hey, get on the bike, good luck. You know, and they run up into a tree or something. So um, yeah, we started with that, and then. I remember like it was yesterday, we were driving up to our uh, chalet and there was a race going on, but, you know, close to the highway. And until then, we, I just raced my sister and my brother and we had tons of fun doing that. Then we're like, we can race with all those other people. So that's how it kind of started at a very young age. And my mom and dad just said, okay, we'll do a race. And I showed up on a Kawasaki 100. It was, I think we took the lights off of it. It was, you know, not a motocross bike. My dad only put one shock because I weighed like 60 pounds and I couldn't even compress that. And uh, I don't remember. It was, it was funny. We just showed up and tried it and let's uh, spend too much time and money on it. My mom was praying that we would not like it. But unfortunately, uh, we, we my brother did really well and I really liked it. I, I probably came in last or close to it, but I, I loved it. We had the film of that moment occasion moment this occasion and uh it was fun and from there you know here i am many years later and it all worked out it's uh when i look at racing and making money motorcycle racing i'm like i should have picked a career being easier to make money and like maybe yodeling or <laughs> something you know like you look at the dedication it took to all these racers all the guys that did it to the top level and some guys that got really close to the top level i mean the energy we put in there if we put that in something else it's probably a bit better paying job we probably you know doing this from my flying blimp or something uh but uh, anyway uh, it's it's still great and uh, it's a great uh, community to be part of that's what that's one big thing about racing as much as some people you i love the most people and i maybe didn't like a few but it was still fun to show up and see all the, that same group you know so anyway that's that's about it from there. Yeah, motocross was fun. It's my first love. I still motocross to this day. I'll go out in, in Sandy Valley or I'll drive all the way up to California and or go up to Mesquite. You know, just past Mesquite in Arizona there. There's a couple of tracks and and I, I do enjoy riding motocross. And then you still do the big jumps? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's not a – that used to be my specialty as a kid. And then my dad would encourage me. He goes, Miguel. If you can clear the same jumps that the 250s are clearing, this is back in the days of two stroke, 250, 125, 80 cc. And I was an ACC, I was a schoolboy. He goes, You'll get attention. You know, that's how you're going to put pressure on people. And I love sending it. I love doing back in those days, we had some quad jumps and doubles and triples and stuff. And man, it took all of my, my courage, but my dad goes, I know you can do it. So I, I, I always love doing that. And, and I keep doing it to, to this day. I mean, I've done some track days here in the Spring Mountain up in the Pahrump. It was mm -hmm. a great facility and great guys that put a, a thing together. And I asked Honda, they lent me a bike. It was, it was fantastic. And Kawasaki also, thank you very much. They lent me a motorcycle too. And, you know, it, it kind of puts a twinkle in your eye because you're like, wow, this is a little bit easier than what I used to do, you know, with the traction control and the automatic blip downshift. I'm like, wow, I'm doing half the work. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can do this again, you know, and I just scream around there and I love riding with those guys and my buddies and just messing around with them. That was fun. But, uh, uh, you know, like, like I said, that's more, more of a, that's more of a difficulty thing for me to do. You know, I'm kind of used to having somebody with my bike there, not me bringing my bike and my Ridgeline and, and doing all that stuff. And you need tire warmers, right? And all that stuff. So we're motocross. I just throw in the truck, go out there, start it, ride around. It's a Honda always starts, even if I didn't start for a year and go motocross. And so I like to stay busy like that, but I also I do I play golf. 
So I call that exercise, but more like fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you play golf with uh, Jason Pridmore? I have in the past when we used to race together, and I remember this is a true story. I think it was like maybe '91 or '93. I went out to play. It was in, we're in Brainerd, a lot of beautiful golf course, where inexpensive. And and Jason showed me like you know he got on gets on his knees and he's hitting the ball 250. He was you know trying to teach me a little bit the shoulder turn, or throwing your arms. And I'm looking at him, and he's hitting the ball. Then we play golf, and he he, he just you know like all golfers, he complains, but he shoots like a 67. And he's like, oh, man, I can't putt or I did this wrong. And I'm like, and I am looking at him and I'm like, why are you racing motorcycles? <laughs> I mean, if I had your skill at golf, I'd be like hitting a million golf balls a day and, you know, making sure I don't hurt myself more than, you know, drinking too much cocktail before a game or something. But uh, I just, I remember that I was really trying to encourage him. Like, you should really try that. You're actually really good at it. And, uh, you know, and as he explained, it's very difficult, obviously, but everything is. But I remember thinking when I saw him hit the ball and the way he played so good, I was like, why are you racing motorcycles? And unfortunately, that, that prediction came through twice. He qualified for the U.S. Open. and I think it was twice. He Obviously, he will tell you. But I know one time for sure he broke his lower leg and he showed up with a, uh, the, the support thing to ring around the leg to stabilize his tibia. He actually played really well with that thing on his leg, almost made the cut to go to the to the main. And he made all the, the, the preliminary releases to it. But anyway, yeah, so uh, not not recently. I mean, Jason's really busy doing what he's doing now, and I, I go out and play. Sometimes I'll play with Ben, though. You know, we enjoy going out. I enjoy playing with Ben. He's real busy with his kids and everything. He's a great dad. And uh, But when I can uh, twist his arm, we go out and play at my course at Bears Best, or we go he sometimes let me sneak into the Summit, which is the most exclusive uh, living area here in Vegas, which is uh, it's nice to know Ben. <laughs> well, Jason speaks very fondly with you with great respect because I've often taken his uh, courses and, and we're good friends and he used you as, a, as an example, but you can feel the respect in his voice when he talks about your racing and sometimes he'll, he'll say, well, Miguel used to do this and, and teach students how to better ride, but there was always this intonation in his voice where it was always like a role model in terms of racing. That's awesome. Here's a funny little fact we raced we raced at pomona california and jason and i were racing against each other and Cal- uh, no, i was on kawasaki so it's 93 and um it might have been honda anyway I was, we were racing in pomona and they had cones the racetrack was made of cones basically go around that cone left cone not not the best thing in the world but you know we're trying to get crowds to come out anyway we're racing the race and i clipped the cone with my knee and the cone goes flying behind me and we're like you know 600 racing with like seven of us racing for first place well guess what it flew off my knee into jason's front wheel and crashed him and after the race i saw that he crashed and i didn't know i hit the cone that hit him and i was like of all the guys and we were best, we were pretty good buddies back then i'm like of all the seven guys behind me my golf partner got freaking taken up by a cone that i accidentally hit with my knee so but he didn't held it against me he knew it was an accident funny <laughs> i think <laughs> uh, it's like a Mar- marquez episode he somehow keeps doing that to other racers. No, yeah, no, Mark is a little bit different, but uh, that's something, something different. He's a great talent. I mean, this guy's and he's got iron, iron guts too. You know, obviously, we kind of all need that to, to go through the things that we go through, and uh, definitely be interesting. I'm, I can thank everybody else. I can't wait for next season when he's uh, rides around with that Ducati. Isn't it funny though? Not that long ago, at least for me. You know, we're talking 20, 30 years. So I guess it is. I mean, you, you wouldn't even dream of Ducati and GP being competitive and KTM. 
you know, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, I remember when McGrath tried to ride their motocross bike and they were like, Ooh, this is not going to work. And, and look where we are today, 223. And if you're not into Ducati or a KTM, you basically don't have a chance. The mighty Honda and Kawasaki, uh, Honda and Yamaha, thank God are still in there. I'd love to see Kawasaki back in there and, and Suzuki, but, uh, isn't it crazy that we we did that 180 on on uh, on racing and never I would have thought that the Honda or Yamaha would be uh, pining to uh, to compete against those guys, but it makes them great racing. That's well, for sure. When you were, when you were doing GP, it was uh, they, they also had the Kajivas over there that were pretty pretty good, yep. right? Yeah, they had well, they had one of the best riders on them. I mean, they had I mean, they, I think Eddie was one that had Brandy on it and did a lot of development. I think they had Kenny Roberts to do some development like secretly. And but by the time that Eddie Lawson got on it, he he pushed it forward and obviously won in Budapest. I was there. It was a rain, half rain, half dry track, and he he called it perfect and uh, and smoked all of us. And uh, the one thing that was really surprising for me when I went to GP in '92 is how friendly everybody were. Um, Kevin Schwanz, Wayne Rainey, and Eddie Lawson. And I'm very approachable. I could just talk. I thought it would be like, you know, a bit of an elitist, a Heisman, you know, stay away from me kind of thing. But uh, they were, hey, man, how you doing? And, you know, we're just chit-chatting. I've got, you know, almost goosebumps. Like, wow, you know, this, these are the guys that you aspire to to get to and beat and try to win. And they were just, hey, man. And I, I love that. That really, uh, that was really nice. Wayne Gardner was the same. We were at, in the in Aspen when he got hurt pretty bad. He had a big crash, and we, his wife kept giving him beers and aspirin. And he looked at me, goes, "I think she's trying to kill me." <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just hilarious, you know. And he gave me a tip. He goes, "I think you need to be a bit more aggressive." I go, "Well, my bike is so bad, I have trouble feeling the bike." And the next race, we went to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I stuffed him and passed him. He must have been like, "Well, he took my advice to really, you know, to heart." And it was one that was my best race of the year, and. The thing I like about Sao Paulo and Brazil is nobody knew the track. So um, we all started the same spot, and I was able to get a top five. And my deal with Yamaha France was a two-year deal. Obviously, I, we didn't look to fine print. It was optional in the second year. Because my point to that story is I wouldn't have let Wayne go. Uh, at Japan, I was I was in for a podium, I was running. I started dead last. And the only reason I qualified was with rain one was dry. The other ones, so I was 36 out of 38 riders on the last row. And in like four laps, I was fighting for the lead with Mick Dewan and John Kaczynski and Wayne Garden when he, he just fell in front of me and Wayne Rainey. And, and I was just flying around those guys. And I, that was my first race in GP. And I was thinking like, we're going to win this thing. And I was really comfortable and I was riding and I was well within, you know, it's not like I was pulling rabbits out of, you know, where, and when I fell after Dunlop curve, the little Degna, to this day, I'm still mad about it because I don't know what happened. I actually leaned the bike in, and as I was picking it up, I, I, the front end just locked up. I don't know if the brakes dragged or something. And John was kind of blocking me because I was trying to get by John to go get Nick and, and Doug Chandler to make sure I get a podium. So when that happened, you see me walking up, and I'm like, what the hell was that? Why did you know? But anyway, that was a great year, and I want to roll into this is also that that's the only track I knew. Suzuka. Then they go to France. They go to uh, instead of going to Castel Le Mans, they go to Magnicor. I'm like, what the hell's that? And then when we go somewhere else, we go like uh, we go anywhere I strike that we went where I had a, a career racing, and I could do it. You know, I, I was looking for, like to go to Le Mans, hopefully, or or anywhere. They, they avoided those tracks that one year. Then they <laughs> now they go back to Le Mans. They always. Been, I'm like, 
why? You know, why? Um, so anyway, so when we went to Paulo, Silva Paulo, I think I could have stayed with Wayne Gardner. I think I could have got him for fourth. But because I think this bike was a bit unpredictable because the chassis was so bad, and Wayne Rainey underlined that for the whole year, he was so mad at Yamaha. And he was Marlboro, and that was, you know, the B rider and the, the C rider on the B team or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Neil was a great guy. Neil McKenzie was my teammate. Very quiet, very nice. And um, at so Paulo, like I said, I think I could have stayed with Wayne and got fourth. But since it was in the podium, I said, well, let's just get a top five. That's something. And, you know, that should make sure the next year we're going to come back and get more of these and probably some wins. And then next year they said, we're not paying you. And if you want to stay, we'll only race in Europe at the tracks that we have a spare bike for. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like a hell of a deal. You know, worst sales pitch ever. So uh, I came <laughs> back to America because I was racing motorcycle to make money. I'm going to make a living. I wanted to be, uh, that's why you do it. You know, that's one of the reasons I, I did it. And, and uh, you know it all worked out. I, I think there's so, a lot of writers that are not getting paid these days, and and they're making absolutely. the money. Yeah, they're making the money off sponsorships. So did, yeah. do you have any sponsors? I, I can't. I can't. You know, you'll hear me complain because I'm a racer. We always complain about little things, and we tend to maybe focus sometimes too much on that. But I look back on my career, how from motocross, I was I was really hot, hot stuff in motocross, and I got, got lazy and I got my ass handed to me. When I got really to be good at motocross, I should have went to America. And raced against guys like Eric Hill was my age, and those were the big names of my. And I was like so full of confidence; it was a little bit nauseating. And um, and I did it wrong, and I got my ass kicked. And by the time I started getting back serious into it, I was getting older. It was harder. I got a big injury, but I was getting back into the podium in the, in the expert class. But the pay there, like you just said, there was nothing. If I I kicked everybody's butt all year, you know, make twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. I'm like, what's that? You know. Anyway, for the for the effort you're putting in, motocross is, you know, as you know, super training. So I learned from that. And uh, when I went to road racing, I didn't like it at first. I thought it was boring, no jumps, nothing. But uh, as I pushed it enough to where I could slide the tires, I'm like, okay, this is fine. And as soon as I start being successful in Canada, I'm like, first thing I did, I'm like, get me to the United States. Which leads to my, my point of my story is I'm so lucky that in my young age, I right that peak of my career that AMA racing got serious because just a year or two before that, I mean, again, you couldn't make money racing in America. And then boom, it started. And one thing leads to another big sponsorship and man, and the racing was top caliber. One of the reasons why I didn't go to Europe is because of, well, if I can win in America, I think it'd be the same thing in Europe. Cause you know, when Scott went over there, he did it. And when, um, John went over there, he did it and the world Superbike, and Colin, when he went up, I'm not saying it was easier, definitely not. It was, you know, at least as hard, maybe harder. I like those tracks, flowing tracks better than the tracks we have here where it's a lot of stop and go. And the money was about the same, so I stayed in America. So I think also that's, the, one, of my, that's one of my shorter answers. To <laughs> you. If you ask me a question, I just go. <laughs> you, you just went, but it, that's, that's all right. Good. I, when you have I a think, career as rich as yours, that's, it flows. Yeah, I, I, I think I think uh, a factor of how much you get paid as a racer is uh, your star power and how many uh, butts you can put in the seats and how many people you can have buying your merch or or products you're endorsing. Mm -hmm. And you see it you see it with Formula One where it's um, it's less of the driving capa capabilities and more of the personality and how people can relate to you. Uh, and how big of a star you make yourself. So did, did you ever try to do that? Did you ever try to uh, be a, a, a more, I don't know, flamboyant personality, uh, stand out, uh, make, you know, make more fans? 
No, no, I never did. I, that's just the way I was. That's how I'm wired. So this day I go play golf and people want to adopt me because I'm making laugh for 18 holes of golf and, and strangers, you know, and my buddies that, that know me, I mean, that gets to be a lot, but still, they, they, they still invite me to play. <laughs> and uh, no, I was brought up by my, you know, by my parents, obviously my mom and dad, my dad was very humble. I mean, here's a guy that was almost too humble. Nobody will ever match what my dad did. And it's not because it's my father. If I, if I be one side to seven, I might be, you know, talk about somebody else that did what he did. I mean, that's just unbelievable. So snowmobile racing and everything. And he was my dad. So he got abused. Sometimes I look back and back, I should have been more respectful of what he accomplished, but it's your dad, you know, just, (laughs) but anyway, um, no, my dad was like that. You know, he's just very personal, but everybody loved to have fun and talk. And, and I always had time for fans. So yeah, no, I had no problem with that. That's just something I rolled into and I love doing it. I mean, why am I here? You know, people are, I, I, I would get away with some negativity. Who wants that in anybody's life? But it was so much fun talking to everybody. And, and my, my, my only, I don't regret might be a big word, but I wish I, as much as I was accessible with my fans and everything, I thought I wish I would have been more, you know? Sometimes a little bit too focused on staying cool before race and hydrating and making sure I got everything right. Did I tell them about the brake fading? Oh, yeah, I can't remember that. The adjuster's loose. And you go through everything. And so you're kind of doing that because there's a few times where I was signing autographs, especially when I first came on scene in 91. In 1990 and 91, I would sign autograph till the race would start. McCann would almost be like, you're going to miss the start, you know? And I'd be out there sweating and everything. I was younger, so I was, you know. But as I get older, you try not to make any mistakes because yeah, I'm the only one that knew that I made a mistake. I would go out and I, I forgot to tell him about the rebound. I forgot about telling him that. Then I'm suffering on a motorcycle. On a motorcycle, the beauty is you can win on a bike that's a little inferior to what you need or want. You can still you know, manage that difference, especially in my days. But uh, but then you try to learn, going, okay, I sit in the truck. Okay, I got to do this, that, 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 that. I don't want my tongue sticking to my palate because I forgot to hydrate before the race. So let's drink some water. Not too much because I want to be stuck, wanted to go to the bathroom while I'm running. You know? And yeah, it's funny. You see all us racers. We always ask for bathrooms so we could go over right before. And anyway, no, I just, uh, in today's world, I mean, I, I'd like to, that might be dangerous because today, like you said, with social media and everything and the more into you, I think they would like me, but there's something I'm sure they wouldn't like. And, but it's, I, I always felt that it was a gift to have the, the fans show up as they did, and I was able to make that money because of them. If there was nobody there, then I could still do it, but with less money. No, it was fantastic. I was very blessed, like I said, to have my career projection go up at the same time as American Racing with involvement with the factories and involvement in the sponsorship, and we had decent TV coverage and everything. It could have always been better, of course. I always yell at AMA, let's stop making us dependent on factories and make enough prize money where, you know, even the fact there's a few guys, privateers I would see bribe really well, but I, they can't make it weekend to weekend. I mean, it's costing them too much money. Now, if they can make $10,000 for finishing seven or eight or five, 7,000 bucks, at least they can pay a guy. They can, you know, they can that parts and, and go to the next weekend and, 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 and actually not put himself in debt because as you know, racing is, you know, big debts for many guys. So, but yeah, anyway, right. uh, it's, I, see. I, I love being around the fans. They were, and I, I, sometimes I'd like to do a, a, a signing tour, just go back, race, fill the grid, finish in the top 10 or 15, wherever I'd finish, and just spend most of my time just signing autograph and talking to people and, and uh, say a proper goodbye, you know, and last, my last tour around. But I, I did it pretty well while I was there, so it's not it's not too bad. I don't I don't lose too much sleep over it. Yeah, I, I see. So I have a two-part I'm question, so actually, that because of what you just said. Um, it... it in your generation, 
the, the racers had bigger personalities, very flamboyant, a uh, lot less restriction put on them on what they should or shouldn't say, maybe a, little, a lot less politically correct. Um, even in Formula One, right, you had Hunt and Lauda and, and the famous rivalries and, um, you know, fights that no team orders or, or contravening team orders. Then you had the big money from the cigarette companies when there was no restrictions from any type of product on, on, on sponsoring. So my two-part question is, do you think, on one hand, the sport is better off? Because in essence, right now, everybody's such a good corporate citizen. You know, you, you go and, and at MotoGP, they're all extremely polite. They, they're careful about what they say. Everything is 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 uh, regimented and 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 disciplined and uh, almost too sanitized. I mean, we sometimes we used to go to the after parties of MotoGP, and these guys wouldn't want to take a picture taken with a drink in their hand because they don't think that's appropriate and they're sending the wrong message. Although they're in a club partying, um, and then at the same time the sponsorship changed. So, in your mind, Miguel, do you think that uh, the appeal of the motorcycle and racing in general, but motorcycle racing in particular, is smaller or bigger because of this change in in how kind of interesting, I guess, the, the, the racing is outside of the actual racing, but with the personalities. And then is it easier or harder today to get sponsorships? Um, because there's a lot of personal sponsors and team sponsors, but, but you have less companies that can participate. Like cigarette companies can do it, alcohol companies can do it, and so on. So is, is political correctness helping or hurting our sport? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think behaving in the right way, though, is very important for kids. I mean, there's kids watching us. They're growing up. They're on mini bikes. Mini bikes uh, boom, you know, and it's great to see little guys with the helmet bigger than their whole body riding those motorcycles and, and motocross and then road race. So they're, 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 there's got to be a balance of that. I think it's I, 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 it's almost anything in, in small amounts is good. You know, you can always do it right. So I, I agree. It'd be maybe more flam- maybe to be a bit more flamboyant and you know do some things that we could do in the old days because there wasn't a twenty four seven camera on us and everybody judging you. And you know it's one thing to have uh, Paul Crudders that gives you his opinion because he's been around racing with his father also and and he's been a journalist forever and say I think this is this or that that and you're facing one guy but it's another thing to have like a, a comment list of you know twenty thousand people like you know just throwing whatever they think that you did wrong and being affected by that so i think some of the people the reaction is like well if i do nothing then, then they can't comment on it and it's it makes my life easier because we do have a life to side racing and you know we do have a, we're emotional people i mean that's so it's 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 a, it's a complicated thing but um i i I think it's up to the rider and what you can get away with. I mean, our, our job is always to push it in racing and then also maybe push it when you can do interviews. Some people don't have that personality. I mean, I did a WWF Randy Macho Man style, uh, you know, interview with Larry Myers about Eric Boston. I was going to put him out. And, and, but that was good. That was, that was entertaining. And the guys need to do that. I think I, if I would be part of that group, because I'm a bit out of that circus right now, but if I'd be in, I'm going, Hey man, you can be funny. You can do this, you know, no, no, no. And if you do something, well, you can always say sorry. I mean, I, okay, I, that was misinterpreted. I meant to be funny. Just trying to roll on the top of it, you know, and be, uh, I probably would get in trouble on every day <laughs> on a regular basis. But um, it's 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 something that, you know, they got to maneuver around, unfortunately. And, you know, you brought up the cigarette thing, and that just annoyed me to no end because they have, you, you know, endless money, Marlboro, uh, Rotman's, uh, New Lucky Strike. And they stop it because, well, it's bad influence for kids or whatever. Well, I'm a kid. I grew up in that business of racing. 
watching Marlboro, Yamaha, Rotman, watching all those guys racing and stuff. I don't smoke. Right. Patrick Carpentier, which is a very, very one of the best racers in car IndyCar when IndyCar was there. He, he was players. And he goes, you know what? I never once thought I, I wanted to smoke. I always thought I want to race. You know, and but the reason I'm complaining about it is like like you just said, I mean, if that flow of money could be back in there, um, it'd be so much better for our sport. You know, it would help us be we have much better racing, Formula One and everything. I mean, they're not struggling, we're still doing it, but it'd be so much easier. And I think it was a bit of a lie, you know. I think people smoke because they're stressed and they're they're you know, they're, they're freaking out about it. But um, I don't like I said, for me. I look at Aaron Yates. I look at Anthony Gobert. I look at all the guys I raised. Ben Bostrom. None of us smoked, and we all grew up in that generation of the seventies, late seventies, eighties, uh, and so on and so forth, where that was what we were looking at. And you look at all the racers, and I mean, a few smoked. Michael Barnes, but he smoked before they. Mike was a lot older than me. <laughs> the Mike was a great guy, you know, and but. But you know the, the list of race. I mean, even back in those days, Aldana and, and guys like that, the race they would smoke. They would race, and they were maybe not sponsored, by, but they were just smokers. Smoking was much more, more relevant. You could smoke in the plane back in those days, kids. And, right. Um, uh, I remember yeah, that. You know. Yeah, and but still, for me, I wanted to be a racer. So uh, sometimes that, that goes back to what you said: political correctness and this and that. I mean. Even even the Pepsi money, even the Pepsi money is gone, yeah. right? Pepsi used to sponsor. Yeah, but they didn't even have the 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 links to stay in there. You know, that's the thing that happened in France when he was Goldwise. Goldwise was a French cigarette company, and they said, "Well, we'll tell you Banco. Banco is like Canada. They have they own the lottery, so they made up the the, the money they were losing because they banned cigarettes because they said, well, McDonald's going to jump in and Microsoft and everything, which I don't know why they don't, especially a company like Microsoft or Apple, which have tons of money. And now bikes are so electronically based that, you know, you think that'd be something to be, but unfortunately it doesn't. I mean, the only people that like to play in that is uh, beers and cigarettes, you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Don't have access to that money. It's funny how regular cigarettes going away and then they made uh, weed legal. So, yeah it's like well where, where's your logic train here and, and what's well, it? i cycle all the time here and there's cars that go by me and you can smell it it almost yeah. knocks you over on the bicycle and i'm like okay i'm not allowed to have a beer in my car which i understand that you know nobody should be driving drunk ever but i'm not pretty sure that guy is having a good time and i'm hoping it's the passenger but it could be the driver and i hope he doesn't fall asleep and you know hit me like larry pregram got hit by a, a motorist not too long ago i don't know if you heard about that he got clipped while cycling, so and luckily he's okay. But he, he got banged up a bit. So isn't he like a big weed yeah, grower? Yeah, funny. Isn't it weird? Isn't he like a big weed grower? He has he has his own. Uh, Actually, he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that we run into that. <laughs> well, like if you say, if you do your things at home and everything, well, you're supposed to, and you're doing a controlled place, and it's okay. But my my problem with it is first of all, it stinks more than a cigarette. And if anybody smokes in my neighborhood, I'm like, who the hell's doing that? You know. Because it, it annoys me. My dad always had this really simple explanation about cigarettes, and it applies to pot. He goes, "When I drink my beer, I don't spit it back in you. You don't get to smell it. You don't get to taste it. I don't get to spray on you. When you take a puff of cigarette, if you could hold it in, you're good with me, you know. And then I can, but you blow it back out in my face, and it's all over the place. So there's there's a, there's a fine line to be walked there. But it is funny how they banned. He went really hard on cigarettes, and then. You know, they, they let now they legalize pot, which is not just smoke and annoying, but it's a an, an intoxicant came to, you know, it's like yeah, alcohol. So, yeah, yeah. you can't yeah. you can't walk on the strip five minutes without smelling it. And uh, I remember I was 
before I, before I moved to Vegas, uh, I was I was here uh, accidentally for the first day where it became legal, and and I guess the state ran out of weed. Like the entire state just ran out in one day. <laughs> Everybody bought it. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll it's tell funny, you. you know, there's, there's another thing, another lesson for the kids out there, and I'm I'm gonna get in trouble for all these things from <laughs> later. But anyway, I mean, here's the here's the when pot was illegal. Uh, all the, the the crime people were making tons of money, tons of money. The government takes it over, and they can't have trouble making money with it. They legalize it, and just showing how the government is not that efficient. Because I remember when you were here, like you said, and when they started legalizing it to help our schools, and we're going to use that extra money to do this and that. And I'm like, oh, I don't see schools. No, I don't see anybody going, yay, man. These are good, you know. That it's uh, sheesh, I don't know, but it's uh, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. They the, use the money to exercise more control, but not to fix the infrastructure. If I'm, if I'm, <laughs> so the Russian paved the when when COVID was around, I went cycling. I loved it because there was nobody on the streets and anything. I went, I cycled. I did a couple hundred mile rides, with bigger loops than usual, and I go on the strip, and I was riding on the strip, and I almost got flats because the strip was all messed up. And this is, you know, obviously it didn't happen because I was riding my bicycle. It was messed up before COVID started. And I'm like, how can one of the most rich famous street be this bad and you saw they had to like pave it till almost the last day for formula one and again it goes back to what what are you doing with our money i mean i'm i don't mind if in summer there's a few bad roads i mean you know with the heat and everything they'll fix them sooner or later but the strip for me i mean it's a sense of pride i mean people, people come here to spend a lot of money and have a lot of fun give them a nice street to drive on you know yeah. Anyway, that we're we're getting. Are we still talking about racing? Yeah. Let's let's, let's talk about <laughs> racing. Let, let's talk about 1987. You rode an RZ350 and an FZ750 uh, in uh, Eastern Canada, uh, and that was the year before yeah. you started racing professionally in 1988. So how was how was riding the that legendary RZ350? That was such a fantastic chassis motorcycle. Great two-stroke. I mean, I love that bike. I mean, I could just rail through corners. And, you know, the one thing I didn't do, when now that we're talking about, I'm talking two-stroke, when my career took off in Canada and I came to America, maybe I should have done the same thing that I did with Canada America. I should have went to Europe to go GP because I used to be a two-stroke specialist. I hated four-stroke. You know, back then, they didn't have the slipper clutch. You go to downshift, the wheel would start hopping off the ground, and you had to do the clutch thing. And... And it really inter it really set me back as far as quarter speed because with the 350 I would race superbike against superbikes, and we found out that even though my lap times are faster than the superbikes, they're in the corner same time as you. So even if you go around them a bit, they then they ought to accelerate you and then brake and stop you in the corner, which led to a lot of mayhems and fights almost. But uh, I love that 350. Oh man, I had so much fun. And back then, they Honda they were my enemy because they came out with the NSR 400. And they allowed them to race. So the class now was 400. These guys would blow by me pretty good in the straight. Shannonville had a long straight. That's where I used to race in San Air in Quebec. And and I, but I'd still beat them. And they always thought I was cheating because they're like, well, how can this bike do that? I'm like, dude, I went around you on the brakes and then I left you in the next corner. I mean, what did that have to do? I mean, we rode tires, we we're on the strict budget. And I remember when I rode the Medzellary ME1s. And we would ride those things till the cores almost showed up. And I wasn't even thinking like, you know, maybe if I get rid of all these like cuts, it'll be a slick. That doesn't work. They don't turn into slick. They turn into slippery. <laughs> you know, I was almost crashing everywhere, but I could save that thing, slide it, you know, even though it didn't have that much power, like through four, the carousel, Shannonville, on my knee, like dirt tracking it through there. It was just so much fun. 
And the 750 was a pain in my, you know what? It wasn't that competitive. We didn't couldn't find a steering dampener for it. So we took one from a BMW, but it didn't really have enough power. So it was it would really head shake a lot. And just to give you an idea how factory star I was, then my mechanic at the time goes, let's bend the shaft. So that'll create some more uh, stiction. So maybe that would be a better steering dampener. <laughs> that didn't work. It led to one of my biggest crash. Back then, I was racing with motocross gloves, no back protector, and going down to Moss Corner, Moss Court, beautiful track, fantastic track. Going left, the bike kept wobbling. And every time the steering dampener got hot, I couldn't drive it, and then I couldn't ride it. But when it got cool, I could go and I could pass a bunch of guys, but then I would like, you know, almost die. And then one day I thought, you know, maybe I can save it. So I crashed and literally destroyed the motorcycle, which wasn't mine, was lent to me just destroyed that thing. My gloves went flying off, broke my back, broke my vertebrae in my bottom of my back. And the bike, like, it was such a big, fast crash. It took like an hour to find the motorcycle. It was in the woods, gone, destroyed. <laughs> we put it back together to give the guy. It would have been cheaper to actually buy a new one and put it back to the parts we did. But the 750, I didn't like that much. It didn't, didn't do it to me, but the 350, that was great. And then I, you know, then I raced the 250 for John Lassick and, I set some track records here, and I saw a track record in Shannonville, but I think they just got tired of seeing it, so they they, they gave it to somebody else. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I was uh, I, I love two fifties and uh, two strokes, and uh, man, I, I just I, I going back and they brings back a lot of good memories of uh, my corner speed and, and everything. I could get away with those bikes. And then 1988 rolls around. You be begin your professional career. Um, 1988 winning top rookie of the year uh, on board the Monty Sport Kawasaki's backed by Pepsi. How, yeah. How uh, did that? How did that Pepsi Kawasaki deal work? Well, and Pepsi, we know this guy was trying to help me. He was a friend of ours, and we had this big bottle of Pepsi and everything. And the only thing we got was like free all the Pepsi we can drink, you know. So. <laughs> Uh, we didn't really get any. I think we got a thousand bucks, and which was appreciated, but didn't didn't pay for the season. You know, pay for a weekend, and we hauled the big bottle around. It was just a. The, the we thing. were hoping we did that, so the next year they would come in with bigger money and and something right more. But you know that that didn't happen. You, uh, you never got the Harrier plane. Kawasaki. I mean, that, that bike was like three years old, two or three years old. It'd been modified a few times by the previous owner, both uh, mechanically and uh, throwing over the fence. And uh, <laughs> it was uh, it, it handled good. You give me a good handling bike, I can run with anybody. And uh, that's what I was able to do with that bike. And the Ninja 750, and my 600 was pretty slow, but I it all handled good. And I was very competitive that year. Um, to this day, I'm still mad at Gary Goodfellow because I think I should have won in Vancouver. You know, he got the start in the back, but if you look at the start, he jumped the start. <laughs> Should have been black flag. <laughs> but I got to finish on the podium there, and that was my first podium. And the next race was in the rain. Uh, let let it go, just breathe. Let let it go. Uh, let it go, just breathe, breathe. Yeah. Oh yeah. There we go. Yesterday. There we go. <laughs> yeah, but, but he did jump the start. Um, no, but you know, and then Gary's a good guy. I mean, he was a very talented racer. He did good for Canada. He he pushed and raced around the world like Michelle Mercier did and everything. Good bunch of guys. Again, the racing in Canada was very strong, very stout, which made me a better racer. You know, some people think, oh, let's lower it down to you know, and have somebody else have a chance. Was well, not going to have a chance when he gets with the real guys. So I. I I, I hit the hardest in America and Canada and hit the hardest in America when I started racing. And listen to this. We go to, we go back to, uh, to Canada. We hit a moose, by the way, driving back with a motorhome. 
<laughs> just crawled out in the middle of the darkness and it moves. And um, we fixed the motorhome and we told the guy we want to keep the leg and some meat of it. <laughs> we might as well keep it, you know, that, that's not waste it. And they were by Lake Erie. So somebody on the lake played through a bunch of hunters that showed up and they helped us with that. And then we picked up the meat. We took it to Montreal and we ate. It was delicious. <laughs> but then our bike, we took the head off the super bike and we look at the piston and there's little, there's little marks on the piston. We're like, what the hell's that? And then we turn over and the guides for the, for the valves were breaking off. I guess with the vibrator, there was a problem. There's a five guide and, and they're breaking. So with our limitless budget and factory racing we were, what we did is we took the head, put it on a, uh, in the spinning thing. And we just, we just cut them all down the guides, no more guides. We don't need those <laughs> things. They're, they're messing up the piston and put the engine back on, started it. Norm Murphy was a racer. He was more factory than I was. When he saw us do that, he was scratching his head. Bike started, and that weekend I won, I uh, beat Michelle Mercier in the rain, and uh, my first super bike win. You know, you know those guys are there for a reason. <laughs> we didn't yeah, we with no figure out what it was. We're not, that was above our pay grade. We're like, you know, they're just breaking off. Might They look like crap. Might as well just, like, mill them down so they didn't stop breaking. And that, that's that's how we, we went about racing. I mean, uh, I remember that year in Calgary, I was talking to Steve Dick, another good racer, and we're buddies. And, man, he just – I just got beside him, and he let go of the brakes, and he just closed the door. I mean, I crashed, and luckily nobody hit me, and I just I was so mad at him. I was like, why did you do that? First corner. I mean, that's 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 the thing that you do to, for the win. <laughs> this is the first corner of the 20-lap race. What are you trying to do to me? Anyway, uh, we worked hard on that. My dad did a lot of work. He was a pretty good mechanic, you know, and for some reason the disc brakes were not fitting again. We had to grind those things down. I kept thinking, man, the brakes are going to fail. I'm going to die. But uh, I don't know, all good times and all worked out. <laughs> I, I got I got a question for you, but I don't want I don't mean to get you all rotted up uh, more than you are. So you won mm -hmm. Daytona five times. Scott Russell won Daytona five times. Why did he get the nickname Mr. Day Daytona? Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, Scott's American guy, you know, I, I'm as American as apple pie. And uh, as far as like, I, I you know, I, I didn't come to America to change it. But I understand that, you know, Scott, Scott's a great guy. Um, I won it before he did, I think. No, did he win it before me with Suzuki? Anyway, yeah, we're all tied and I won way. I mean, Scott, Scott's a, like I said, Scott's a great guy. We weren't the best close buddies, but we we're good buddies. I mean, if we'd see each other, we'd have a drink together. No problem. And I remember one time somebody told him, ah, oh, Mr. Daytona, and he just looked at the guy and goes, Miguel won a lot more than I did. Because, you know, I won 600, so many. I think I won like 12 times Daytona, five superbike and the rest 600s. And I, I even raced there in motocross. And the, uh, the C-Class, 125, when my dad raced in 86, I got a top five. I got a big trophy. It's right there that I got. And I, I, I finished in the top five, raced the legendary supercross track at Daytona. That bike had no power, which was kind of great because, you know, sand, I was just wide open the whole time. <laughs> and somebody just sent me a couple of pictures. I tried to jump over this guy one time because I was just trying to get in front of him. But, uh, uh, that, you know, that was that was, that was was a good time. But, yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, this is, that's how it is. You know, I, you don't get to pick those things, you know. <laughs> you want a cool nickname, but uh, he, he got it, so that's all right. What's a cool nickname for you? We got to think about oh, it. Oh, I don't know. We got to think I'm about it. I'm pretty modest. You can call me legend or, uh, okay. you know, something <laughs> like that. Something, I mean, God's pushing a little bit because that's me, but, you know, something, something around those, those little, you know, low levels would be nice. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just happy to be me, man. I just, uh, 
you know, uh, Harley Davidson, uh, they said, well, let's just, because is it Duhamel, is it Duhamel? And I'm like, well, both pronunciation and French sound about the same. So I'm like, whatever you guys want. And one guy, Harley, let's just call you Hammer. I'm like, I like that. I'm like, call me the Hammer. That's cool. So for a little while, that was the Hammer with Harley. But uh, that's that's how it rolls. You don't pick those things. You, you want? I never with... wanted to be called. A lot of people call me Mig, like I like that. It's my abbreviation, Miguel Mig. But then I'm like, you know, I'm in America. I don't want nobody to think I'm a Russian sympathizer <laughs> with the Mig airplane. So I'm like, I am gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna squash that right away. You know, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. I was always thinking. Sometimes I overthink things. <laughs> yeah, Mig Hammer would sound a lot like a NATO designation for a Russian plane. Yeah, again, see, there you go. <laughs> Yes, comrade. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah. Um, you won with every variation of the RC 30, 45, 51. Uh, how was how the, the progression of the machinery in, in Honda? Because Honda is not known or at least was not known for uh, taking big steps. And, and in those years, those were giant steps. Uh, so every time you got yeah. the new the new bike, did you go like, oh, you guys did good, or or how was how's the progression? No, it's a good question. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot in there. I'm going to try to keep it more brief. So, but um, I'm not going to succeed. But I just want you. I'm trying. Um, but when I went from Harley Davidson in '94 to '95, went to Honda, which was very very good for me because it was a bidding war to get my services. Same thing in '94, Harley won. In '95, Honda won. And Kevin McGee was developing the RC45. Well, yeah, that was the RC45 then. And I went first time I rode was in Daytona, and that bike tried to kill me. I mean, I came in, I went out, and I did like five laps, and I came in, and the, I remember my Honda teams—they're all like, "How great is this bike?" And I'm like, "Not really." I go, "This is horrible," and they're laughing. I'm like, "No, no, I know I like make jokes, but so I, I would like." I remember like it was today and, and it kind of led to me not getting a job with with uh, Merlin Plumley, which is really sad. I really wanted to work with Merlin. My girlfriend's going to work. <laughs> I really wanted to work with uh, Merlin Plumley because he was so great. He was a fantastic man and great mechanic. But here's why he didn't want to work with me. So I go out, I come back. I said, this is really bad. And they go, let's try one click and rebound. Let's try one click and reverse compression. And every time I went out, it was a miracle. I came back not killing myself, not crashing. I mean, I was losing the front of the banking. I mean, losing like, oh, my God. I'm just, you know, and your heart just stopped. And I was like, this is no, this is unacceptable. I mean, we're literally, I mean, it's banking, but it's basically going in a straight line. You know, I mean, they should be able to do that. So after three times of coming in and trying to explain to my mechanic that we need a survey, like, I don't need a click and they're blah, blah, blah. I need a new front end. I mean, we're talking maybe even a chassis. This thing is horrible. What are you not understanding? So, you know, I start stalking like that with my eyes and I'm like, you gotta do this. I'm not gonna write this thing. It's the death machine. So they oh, 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 and Merlin heard that. And it threw him off. He didn't like a writer talking about his mechanic. But like I told him, we, you know, I've, I've known Merle forever. May he rest in peace now. But I used to say, you know, I did that to, to shock them to, to do something because they almost were like, let's change the sticker. You think the sticker would be nicer? You'd like the sticker on the, the fairing? You think that's going to help? And I was like, no, no. Take this thing, put it in the crusher, tell Japan to send us a new one, you know? Uh, but uh, from there, you know, it was a hard struggle. I mean, I'm telling you, the bike was horrible. 
And then we we made it work, obviously, and won everything that year. Um, and what really spiked me that year was me, my, my teammate, Mike Hill. All, all my teammates were great. Mike was a great teammate, and he was a great racer. And we're racing, and he's having more success than I am. I have a couple of bad luck. I hit Jimmy James, rear fender, my front brake at Pomona, crash, and when I try to pick up the bike, I rip up the air ducts. Anyway, I just... So my first few races were not that good with that bike crash to Daytona. And, um, and but 600, I was doing pretty good. And me and Mike were fighting it out, you know, smoking Joe's. And then the Laguna Seca's were the turning point for me. I, I, I do a good race in Superbike. And then the 600 race, me and Mike were going at it. I mean, just we're gone. We're the, you know, we're, we left everybody. And I'm going last corner, going 11. I'm like coming out of 10. I'm like, I'm setting him up a bit. I go, if he makes it kind of easy, if he, he gets lazy on the break, I'm going to pass him. But if not, he's my teammate and I like him. I mean, if he wasn't my teammate, was Kawasaki somebody else, I probably ran it in there. I'm like, well, you know, tough break, kid. And, you know, see you later. But I'm like, it's Mike. I go, if he wins, and I, I finish second, one, two. I mean, we, we got the first two step at the podium. Next race, I'll win, and he'll get second. So he, uh, you know, I, I, I go to throw it in there, and I said, well, if I do, I might pump it off the track, and I don't want to do that. So so I step behind, he wins, I get second. I run celebrate. I come in pit lane. My entire team and this team are celebrating like he just won the world championship or just like like an Armageddon, like got rid of the meter, was destroyed the planet. And I'm holding my bike going like, can somebody put a stand on this thing? <laughs> what the, did he just win the world championship? This is like the third race in the season or fourth race. And I'm being like, like stiff arm Heisman again, like go away. Which way is it? And um, finally to put the stand on my bike, I get out the bike and now I am fuming. I mean, I am just like, I can't believe that's just not right. We're a team. Why am I being this? And this is the only time I think my dad shows up in the team bus as I'm getting undressed. And he goes there to console me. He goes, Miguel, you had a good race and uh, you did good, kid. You know, just keep it up. And he was always very positive, my dad. And I just went, F this. That's never happening again. And then I just blurred out and with more explicit what I just told you guys. And I'm like, no not winning again that's you know and i was just like fuming veins popping and my dad went okay all right good meeting and he walks out and from that on i won six in a row on superbike and i won 13 in a row on the 600. so the motor of the story is don't get me mad and, uh, <laughs> uh you know but and uh, again mike had a great career and he was a great teammate and uh, we had fun but that that really lit the fire underneath me and and went through the development of the RC45. The best RC45 was 1998 and 1999. Uh, the development there was terrific. I used to use springs that would, the, the Japanese say, you can't use these springs, they're too hard. I'm like, I'm using them. And they wouldn't believe it because, I, but I set it up so I could break super deep. That's why I was competitive in the World Superbike. Me and John Kuczynski would go at it. I sure wished we had the same tire rule that we have today back then, but we didn't. He had Michelin's, I had the unlock. But we, we, you know, we, we did some some really good work with that. And unfortunately, the problem with Honda is after they get bored after four or five years, like okay, let's do something else. I'm like, no, this is perfect. I can win with this every day, you know. But uh, it was the way it was. And on a side note, with John Kuzinski, when I was in the World Superbike, I was leading the race. I passed him. I wanted to lead, lead at least five or ten laps, which when, when my tires started going down and I knew he was going to walk away from me, um, I went through turn six, after turn five and turn six up under the bridge the left hander going up to the corkscrew. And I had the line there, it's just, again, with my bike set up, I go in the brakes so deep, get the bike sideways sliding over there, just get back on and dirt track it all the way up the hill, just a little bit of power drift all the way to the painting line. I pull like half a second, three tenths of a second, 
which is a lot in one section on John. So at the end of the race, I'm on the podium, John one, we're, we're in the same truck waving, you know, go around, you wave at the crowd. Hey, and we're going around, wave, wave, wave. John's not a big talker. Not to me anyway. We get to turn six and he just looks at me, grabs me by the shoulder, goes, you were really fast through here. And then he just starts waving again. <laughs> and I just start waving. And it was like one of the best friends I've ever received. Here's a competitor that's we're not the best friends in the world. What world champion? I mean, John Kaczynski, everybody knows that guy. But for him to like take my attention and say, Hey, you were so fast through her, it was impressive. And then he just started waving again and and we never talked about it again. But for me, it stuck forever. There's there's little things like that that you gotta cherish. And that that's one one more that I really like. RC forty five was my favorite bike. The RC thirty was good, a little too stiff on the front. Hard to turn, but I did like the RC30. Raised the 24 hours with it. RC45, like I said, the last two years, I broke my femur, bad luck. And I have even one, you know, I don't need race, like four races. And I won two or three or four of them, and then I got hurt. So you can see that I'm saying it's true. And uh, if I didn't get hurt, a little bad luck, I would have won a lot more. The RC51, I didn't like it as much as Nikki. Nikki was great on it. Turned out that the, we didn't have the idle high enough. So I couldn't carry any corner speed. Every time I shot up, it got so much compression. And the day we discovered that, I went like from being almost a second down to being as fast as anybody and then start winning with it. The idol. Yes, people. Ah. No brakes, no special jet, no special tires, anything like that. Just turned the idol up. So when I shut off and then transitioned, the bike would roll a bit better. Boom. Start winning with that bike. Well, it was a solid bike, but it wasn't my favorite. Did then that, the CBR 1000 came out and that thing was a spaceship. Did, did it have a slipper goes. clutch? The, the RC51? Did they have a yeah. slipper yeah, but we couldn't get it. We couldn't adjust it right. I just we tried and tried and tried, and we just couldn't get it right. And I just with the the gearing that I wanted, with the way the slipper clutch had to be, I just couldn't get it to work. And it was as simple as that. It might have been Merlin Plumley that you know slipped the lip or something, and and we we're hearing him talk. And, and the bike went from just that little difference, boom. And with this, that the day we discovered that was at serious point. And I went from like six five. Second day, or something like that, and and then we were off to the races, literally. Nice, yeah, yeah. The one thousand, I was gonna say the one thousand. You had you had the sheer bad luck of of going up in in that bike against uh, the Suzuki's, right? No, the thousand CBR. The first thing about it, I loved it was a thousand. And 750s was cool. You could do 190 with the bike, you know, and top speed. This 1,000 was doing like 200. And from 190 to 200 is only 10 miles an hour, but it's like it's like 90 miles an hour faster. It's hard to explain. The, the gaps of speed and your brain processing power, is it's quite a lot. I remember like when I threw that thing out of the chicane in the banking coming out of three and four, and I always had a light that I would look at, come out, get on the throttle, look, look for my light, and start bringing it down and trying to miss all those cracks back then that the banking was all messed up. You didn't want to hit that tar because it really upset the bikes. Can't tell on TV, but trust me, it did. And I come out of the chicane, I'm up, up, and that thing's through. I'm like, was that the light? Did I just miss my, my... I mean, it was like, I felt like Captain Kirk and Star Trek when he goes, warp speed. And I just called like that to my bike. I'm like, oh my God, this thing is fast. And we had great success with that bike. It was pretty good. But then... Yeah, as you touched on the Suzuki's bikes start making funny noises. Uh, and this you know what it you won't hear me complain about any loss. And I like I'm I I I was mad at Mike Hell, not Mike Hell, I was mad at my team for the way they disrespected me when I got second, but I wasn't mad at Mike. 
And like I said, I didn't stuff him because I, I didn't mind him winning. And I only do that for my teammates and maybe some friends like if Larry Pegram is there or something. You know, I, I, there's some guys that you, you you give a bit more margin, you know, and then some of the guys are like, you know, good luck for you. But um, uh, but the um, I, and, and I, I don't mind getting beat. I don't like it. And that's what made me who I was and who I did, what I, who I am. But um, that that was just a bad, bad timing because racing started going down. Money started going softer. To, sure, for a little while, people were like, yeah, he's winning everything. Suzuki's winning everything. And, and But then I'm like, what that kind of racing is that? Who wants to show up and see that? And if you look at it, you can you can make a chart where, you know, racing went down, people turning up went down, money went down. And then we had the 2008 economy crash where it's that – that's really the reason why I was surprised by my retirement because I didn't want to. <laughs> but Honda says, we're not going racing anymore. We're done. And I told myself, I'll race for like a tenth, a tenth of what you paid me. Just keep my bike. I want to keep going. I want to see if I can, you know, turn this thing around. And they're like, no, Miguel, we just, we're printing on both sides of white paper. That's how much we're suffering in money. We can't, you know, we can't afford it. But they had to do with Neil because Neil had another year in his contract. So they, they that's why they weren't racing that one more year. But anyway, I mean, I saw him at the, it started all at the Barbara. I remember like it was yesterday. It's an open test. We're testing there and they were leaving Morse code. I called it rear slide, like slide a little, a little break of, of pure asphalt, slide, pure asphalt, slide. I'm like, nobody can do that. There's, unless you're chattering, but it was not, you could see because that, that big right-hander and um, I'm going to see, I'm not going to cry. But, um, <laughs> you know, I could see, and you could hear back then, you know, if you guys know, you look at YouTube, it's still up there. The bike goes, bop, 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 and I'm like, what the hell's that? And, and they went from being like, not a really big concern of ours to being like unbeatable. And, you know, now the, the, I'm thankful that Ben Spees came along and, you know, set the record straight. Ben Spees is a real, true, natural talent and went on to do a terrific career. He's such a great guy. And unfortunately, he got hurt with his shoulder and everything. But I, I liked him winning better than than the other guy. But because the other guy, you know, they were just they were being cocky about it, and they knew they couldn't get caught. Now, for everybody listening to me, listen clearly and carefully. You're not allowed to have traction control in AMA. That was always been the the, the, the rule. And you're not allowed to run a front wheel sensor. Now, why do I say that? Because AMA thought that the only way you could do traction control or power control, whatever you want to call it is through the front wheel. The front wheel doesn't slip. So if the rear wheel is going faster than the front wheel, very simple to make traction control. So that's why they bang any sensors on the front wheel whatsoever. But they figured out a way to do it with GPS and mappings and and Amar Bazaar, the guy was a genius with computers and and they kept with it and they they, they came up with a, an idea how to do it. And more importantly, they, the AMA couldn't prove they were doing it. I, I, they just took too long to let everybody do it. And by the time they did, again, back to the economy crash, I mean, we knew the Mitsubishi system that they were using was the number one. It was using GP with lean bank sensor, sensors and everything. And me being with the guy that I am and racing for so long, a lot of guys came up to me and said, this is what they're doing, Miguel. I know. I saw it. I'm, you know, I'm allowed to go over there. I looked at it. And I would tell the AMA, they're like, oh, you know, just can't prove it. We don't know how to, you know, to do it. So, and they lost two big fights against Roger Edmondson and somebody else. They got sued. And I think they were a little gun shy getting sued by Suzuki because Suzuki said, if he can't prove it, that's slander towards our writer and my team. So they just went like this and, you know, one, two, three Suzuki. 
and it was bad for the show. I, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it too when I was I was on a K six on a Suzuki K six in in WSMC, and there were some of the guys that were running running the K seven and the K seven. You could you could clearly see it in Willow turn four A and B. You could see the bike just goes like this and brings itself back. And mm-hmm. and as soon as I saw it, I was like, and I you could hear the engine cut off. Um, and back back then it was you know it was very rudimentary, but it was still the bizarre system. And it was easy to point out, like you're saying, like yeah. when I pointed it out the first time, everybody knew, like what's going on, you know, and everyone knew. And I said to them right there that day, as it went along, then you could tell at the end. There's no way you could tell, yeah. you know. And then by then they stopped making the the gas cutting and the backfires and all that stuff, and the bike which is like today's bike, you don't hear a MotoGP bike doing that. No. And so they got it together and they got it going, but it, it just killed the sport. And Madden Aladdin was racing for 10 years in America on good team, Fazbear Farachi. He had one win in 10 years. Same bike that Goldberg used to win a lot, and Doug Chandler won a lot on it. A lot of guys won a lot on it. Ben did a great job on that bike. He had one win. And then when Suzuki's bike started doing rat noise, he got 60 wins almost in a row. So, I mean, come on. Do you, I mean, do you know? Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened once they got caught? They said, "Oh, traction control doesn't help with the lap times. It helps managing the tire uh, during the race. Yeah. So when the tire goes away, it keeps the tire uh, from from sliding." Uh, so they were mm-hmm. trying to play it down like it doesn't really help. Man, I talked to journalists, and they would tell me that story. They would be like, "Oh, you know, it's power control, or it's for the tire and everything." I'm like. I don't care if it's for better grades in school. It's not legal. And don't you see there's only three guys winning on that bike? It killed Kawasaki. It killed like, Honda. And they couldn't afford it. If Honda couldn't do it, then Kawasaki sure couldn't do it. And Yamaha, then they didn't, didn't want to do it until it was legal. And when they did it, they did great. And you know, a lot of guys won on that bike. But it just it was just so frustrating because it's 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 kind of having, you know. Oh, should I go there or not? Well, what the hell is going? Uh, it's like having a guy competing against girls, you know? I mean, like, yeah, you're a top 10 and guys, but now you're kicking all the girls. But you, I don't care if you think you're a girl. You, you can't do that. Compete. You can be a girl if you want to, but you can't compete against them because it's not fair. So, so I went there. So so, but, uh, so the fact, uh, the fact that just, you went there. They just made racing bad. The fact that you went yeah, there. Just right. racing bad. That was yeah. one thing. And I didn't have a chance of winning. Neil didn't have a chance of winning. Nobody had a chance of winning unless they've all broke down and they never did. You know, I always hope, I pray, I really do pray that one day somebody that was involved in that will come out and write a book or just come out and say, yes, this is what we did. I feel bad about it. I'm a pure racer, like maybe a Don Sakakura, <laughs> somebody that's been in racing forever. That, that I mean, and he's an artist. He's an artist. I'm, I'm not saying he knew. I'm not saying you, but let's say I'm using his name because I know him. You know, I'm, I don't think. But the, but Don Don is an artist racer. The man is a motorcycle through and through. You the guy when he cut himself, he would bleed oil. I mean, the the guy is, and he he's he's a craftsman of what he did with Yoshimura, big part of your success. But if somebody like him or somebody else would know, and they'd be like, you know what, I, I need to get off my chest. This is something that we did. You know what? That'd be nice because I. I am 100% convinced that that's exactly what happened. And my only consolation is when Ben Smith came around and started winning everything. And, uh, you know, because Ben was a good writer, a great writer, and it was fun to see him do that. We, we had him on a podcast, by the way, Ben. You did? Yeah, we had him on a podcast. Yep. Yeah. 
So I'll uh, look it up. I, I have a question for you. It's it's a little messed up question, right? Um, but since he went there, why why the hell not? Uh, so Josh <laughs> Josh Hayes, right? I'm, I'm just taking the gloves off because you know nothing over here is according to plan. Uh, Josh Hayes broke your all time AMA record. Now I have a way for you. It's a cheater way, but it's a way for you to get that record back. What if you go I'm to? Listening. Okay, all right. What if, what if you go? What if you go? There's way more classes today uh, than there were uh, when you were when you were racing there. Uh, so once you uh, once you go to Moto America and tell them you identify as a woman and and enter the Royal Enfield, um, yeah, a, a Royal, the Royal <laughs> Enfield ra- races. And that way, you can get your record back. I don't know if I could pull it off. I'm just gonna <laughs> to get hair extension. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I need to do that. I think I could probably go there and beat those guys. Oh. I mean, the class that Josh won in there. Okay. I mean, Josh that, raced against us, and he's a good racer. He's a top racer. He's got 87 wins. That's amazing. But I, I can't fault him for for keep racing and doing it the way he did it. And you know, I mean, they, obviously there are different times and there's different things. Uh, but it's, you know, going to hats off to him for doing it. I mean, here's a guy that did it by himself and got to be a factory rider. So when, you know, he got a little bit less help, he still could do it. I never did it that way. I mean, my dad helped me a lot and right away I became a factory rider. So for me to grab a bike, put in a trailer and go race, it's not going to happen. I don't, I'll just show up with mirrors and go, oh, that's not legal. I didn't know. I don't remember, you know, <laughs> but, uh, no, he, he, he did, you know, he did good. And Josh is a good guy. I mean, he's a good guy. So. I wish he hadn't broken it, but um, you know it was done in different time, different circumstances, and it is what it is. It's the, the, I wish you would have stopped at eighty six. A tie wasn't good enough for you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the, the way the way he does it too is um, he's a racer through and through, and and the guy the guy's just an yeah. animal, just an animal. And the fact that he did it on an R six uh, against the Ducati, which is basically a leader bike. It's it's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, he's yeah, he's done a lot of racing. I mean, he's in the mid forties, and uh, you know, like in two thousand eight, when everything came down, maybe I should have kept going. You know, maybe do my own thing a little bit and try to, and the, and the class like that could be competitive. But you know, there's a lot of risk, I and mean, that's one thing that he did that you can't deny. I mean, he could have got really hurt. You know, he did. Don't he, bounce he, he did with his leg. Get older. He did so, with, with his leg. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know, that's 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 how the, as they say, that's the way the egg roll. And at, at, yeah. at the end of his superbike career, I think he he sent Maladin back home, right? Well, I remember when they made it, you know, all legal and everything, and Larry Pegram came out, and uh, he had a really good system, and Larry won, and he's got, I think, the biggest gap between superbike winners from I think the one time in Willow Springs to that time, and. And Larry won. And uh, yeah, once people got the right, it made it easier. Like I said, when I go out with the new bikes, I know it's only a track day and all that stuff, but man, it, it, it is, it's it really hard to understand. It's 10, I'd say almost 10%, a little bit easier than it used to be with the, you know, the bikes that we ran. Um, it's just that the power is the same, but it delivers it so much better. I mean, remember my not close to night they wanted to get dislocated when the bike would just hook up so hard you know you know it's not hard to tell the mechanic i, I want less traction you know but um the uh it's it's it, it helps quite a bit and it's not sour grapes because i rode the kawasaki it was a great bike and i rode the honda they lent me the bike and i went out there and 
I did a bunch of laps. I mean, it's not perfect, you know, some of the little things, you know, the, the computers, but that's just a street bike. And uh, inmate track day is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And then, whenever, like I said, when everybody got it, then it reset the whole thing. You know, Matt wasn't dominating anymore. I mean, Larry could win. Josh won. A lot of guys. And then then he just went, did the usual, oh, I'm done. And he just left. I remember one thing that was pretty funny about him. He, uh, you know, because I was, you know, doing really well, Superbike and 600, winning both classes and, and all that stuff. So one year he showed up with a Suzuki, 600. He goes, I'm signing up, signed up and everything. And he goes out and he barely cracked that. He barely made the top 10. I was looking at barely made the top 10. And then he parked the bike. Then he goes, Oh, I'm too big. I'm too big. You know, I can too tall. I'm too big. This is uh doesn't, doesn't work. Well, here comes Mr. Ben Spees. He's, I think he's taller. Gets on the bike, kicks my ass. I, you know, goes out there. We race, we, we dice and I won, he won, but he was like on fire. And then I'm going, Hey, what about that guy? You know, and that's why I was happy that Ben showed up and start winning. And, you know, to me, a person that's deserving winning of these is, uh, I'm not, well, that sounded weird, but I mean, Ben, I thought was a, a, a true master of the craft from motorcycle racing. So I, that was fun for him. Yeah. And Matt, he could win on a 600 too, Yeah, which to my detriment, but still <laughs> he, he was a good racer, him. And I mean, you look at guys that race in 600, I race against Doug Chandler, Scott Russell, Anthony Gobert. Ben Spees, Ben Bostrom, Eric Bostrom, Aaron Yates. I know I'm going to forget guys, but I mean, some of the top crop of the guys. I mean, I'll be, oh, you, you won a lot in 600. I'm like, yeah, against those guys. You know, it's like I was riding, you know, some sort of local race weekend and and people were trying to sell those bikes and they were racing in there. And Everywhere, Steve yeah. Trevier. Everywhere you went, you raced against, you raced against uh, some of the best racers in history and you beat them, which makes you one of the best racers in history yeah but you look at looking seriously just take two seconds and look at the entry grid in 1991 with my first daytona win i mean the world champion was there i can't remember his name if it was bell or something called fargety was there i mean that's back in the days when the top european with the money would come over and try to win and guys that did the alamon they would show up and stuff and then our guys were there everybody would show up you know and and that year i mean if i didn't have a uh if they didn't throw out like five pace cars I probably would almost, I would have won by a most a minute. Every time I got the 25, 30 second lead, they threw out a pace car. And like anybody else, I'd look around going, okay, what's going on? Did they plane land accidentally in Daytona? Or, I mean, sometimes there might be in a crash there. I'm like, okay. But then after that, there was like, come on, man. We had such a big lead. I don't know if you remember, maybe you don't, but my pipe broke and it was making a lot of noise. And we were afraid we were going to get disqualified for having the bike too loud. So we made an extra pit stop changed the pipe, which is kind of hard to do, a little hot, and the boys put a new pipe on and went out, and I still won by a bunch of seconds, you know? So that that year, I was on fire in the bike. We had a good setup, and working with Ray Plum, too, another magician that's been around racing for entire life, and, and having Al, of course, my mechanic, and but Ray back then was involved into the racing, and that was that was really something that was uh, that was an attriment to uh, to the team. So it was fun. So we had, we had some good... And we had some good racing. How did that 2012 deal come about? I mean, electric. Yeah. Well, let me tell you the whole story about the electric bike. Um, first of all, I'm motocrossing up in Milestone. And there's this really tight corner. and It's a big triple. And then another tight corner. Nobody's doing it. I'm doing it. Because, you know, I love motocross. I love riding. And all my buddy and I, I do this word for word. I go, hey, guys, watch this. I go out and I got one leg that's shorter than the other. 
and I, I had a motocross boot where I put a lift on, it was a little too big, but I was you know, making with. So I jump, 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 trying to come up the corner and I get on the throttle, it spins up too much. I try to short shift it so I can rock and just jump and land on the other side, which was no biggie. I did a bunch of time. Well, I went to hit the shifter, got a neutral. Endo, into the third jump, push my left leg through my pelvis, breaking in eight pieces. So go to the hospital. Doctor says, you're fine. Don't cross your legs. And I come to my house. There's a doctor living across the street. I show him the x-ray. He goes, you need an operation tomorrow. And long story short, got the operation done. My, my leg and I broke my wrist, cracked the bones. I had my wrist was broken, my, my hip, little concussion. And the phone rings. He goes, hey, Miguel, this is a lightning motorcycle. We want to go race the Lamont Le Mans for the world championship. You know, can you want to do it? And I'm like, then I was doing the calculation in my mind. I'm like, all right, I'm in a wheelchair right now. I haven't walked in a month because I have to let it heal. I go, I should be able to do this. It's an electric bike. How hard can this be? So I said <laughs> yes. And by the time when I went to sign the contract with him, I had still a little soft cast on my wrist. And I was walking a little funny. And I told him I, I fell mountain biking. A lot more, you know, we like for the greater good motorcycle racer. And and like like it turned out all okay. When I went to France, there was, you know, the grid was sparse, but there was an electric bike there and we were the fastest and uh, it was fun. We run around and we won. So world champion, two thousand twelve, electric motorcycle, Le Mans. It was fun because I ran into all my old friends of the Suzuki, Dominique Millian, the, the the Suzuki French guys and a lot of guys, and one guy, when I came in the pits, he's, he's like stopping me to say hi. He goes, you're going too fast. You can't go that fast with that bike. I, I got close to a 600 time around there, you know, or something like that. And I was just trying to be safe because I was still a bit hurting. And uh, But it was fun to see those guys and won the race, so I'm changing. I take my leather suit off in the garage. I changed all this, and the mechanic that was working on the electric bike, when I put my pants back on and everything, he goes, uh, Miguel, says, can I ask you about that's car that that looked pretty fresh and i'm like uh oh but we already raced and we won so i'm like well here's what happened <laughs> so i told i came clean i told him that at the victory dinner i said yeah this is what happened everything he like shaking his hand i had the x-rays of the eight screws holding my my pelvis is like all right well, as long as you won so that's pretty funny so what's your wildest memory of your racing days hmm. Well, it's all pretty wild, actually. You know, I mean, it's uh, the competition was stiff, and was a it was a gift to win every time I did. And sometimes I didn't win, and I still felt I did a great race. You know, I mean, that's I think that when I look back at racing, well, there was a lot of good fun times when we had a lot of people and a lot of people around, and uh, a lot of drunk racing and <laughs> a lot of drunk, girl, girl, angry and people things and all the big parties and everything. You know, I mean. <laughs> It, there was a good times. I mean, I, you know, like I said, we uh, hit it, I hit it right into the sweet spot of uh, racing in America, and hopefully coming back soon. And um, but I like that. But for me, as a racer, I guess the turn to question is: as long as I felt like I did the most I could do on that motorcycle that day, um, I, I felt you know I felt good. I'm gonna hope usually that led, led to a win or at least being better of a podium. But if I didn't, sometimes I'm like, well, you know, can't win them all. If you do, you, you're fixing. You're probably cheating over the top you know and <laughs> racing is about pushing the limits but i'm proud to say that you know if if i heard anything about somebody like when i was racing the rz 350 my mechanic i mean i had to like crack the whip I'm like do not cheat don't do this don't do that and like any just like i'm gonna do this and that 
I mean, we pulled that thing out of cobwebs to go race the first time to try road racing, see if I'd like it. And one time we got caught and he was using um, plastic boys and Marines instead of steel. And his story was because he didn't want to mess a piston up when they cracked. And one time he used illegal fuel and I wanted to kill him. I'm like, what are you doing? We're winning. We didn't use this and I won and now you're using it because you want to win more. I mean, that he was just a tinker. And one time they said to open the, uh, the engine and there was so much mud caked in there that they, they, they had to hit it with a, two by four and a hammer just to pull the engine out and even colin frazier was there going like i'm pretty sure this engine's never been opened in stock so we took advantage to make the bike actually better put a new piston and rings into it but like i said i i i was allergic to that stuff i either lose with honor or or, or and win with dignity than, than do anything else than that how about off track any spicy stories other racers yeah and that's called the vault and you just keep that there <laughs> And, um, you know, that's, I got some friends and I got some great stories and, you know, the, the, the funny things that some of them I can tell, uh, there, uh, so when me and Ben Bostrom and Eric, we're all good friends, we've always been good friends. We used to go motocross together and Anthony Gobert would be with us. And this is something I did. I think is worth mentioning. Anthony had a bit of a drinking problem. Uh, he would, he would overdo it compared to all of us. And uh, I went like, man, Anthony, you know, just, just keep it on the download during the racing season. Cause you know, he would get trouble and sometimes with pot, whatever. I'm like, man, keep it, stop it for the summer race, do your thing. And then on the, nobody cares what you drink during the winter, you know, just don't, you know, stay out of prison stay out of jail, stay out of problems. And I always try to help him. And you got to understand when I was trying to help Anthony and holding him by the neck and laughing with him and everything, I'm like, man, I might be shooting myself in the foot. If this guy, you know, if this guy's what he's doing is slowing him down, well, then I'm never going to beat this guy again because he was a hell of a racer. It was hard to beat. And, you know, we had great races. But I thought as a human being, it was more important for me to try to save a human being than, than save my winning position. You know, like I'll figure a way to, to beat him somehow, you know, push harder or something. And then when he did clean up, he had trouble racing, actually. It was kind of a weird thing where he had, you know, I, I don't know anything about addiction that badly. and But... Uh, he, he definitely has a lot of struggles and uh, but we try to help him but we go motocrossing together and we man we just rode into each other and everything it was pretty funny and and um anthony would go out and we'd be like tomorrow morning 9 a.m we're going out to motocross at gorman all right we like come in late anthony would come in the latest 3 a.m and i had trouble using the i just say the washroom facilities and he did a bunch of weird stuff and he would call his girlfriend and he would be yelling and then laughing and everything. And we're like, Andy, shut up for the love of God, you know? So I guess part of that story is as that, and I'm, I'm sure everybody knew about Anthony's situation. I hope he's doing great today and good. I don't know. I don't want to hear anything, but uh, I did my part and you know, I try to try to help him. And we're all a good bunch of people, you know, we're all good friends and we, we hung out and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's a high-pressure profession. This is not a profession yeah. where you can coast. You always have yeah. to show a performance, and that puts a lot of pressure on people. Yeah. That's you know, so, you know, that reminds me, when I was sitting on my couch in 2009, and I, this is true, I was watching TV, and I was like this, like ready to pounce, I'm waiting for that phone call, going to go race, we can still do, you know. And I took a breath, and I took an exhale, and I went, and I actually like slowed down, being like, "Okay, it's finished. Let's let's relax." It took me a year to realize that I'm not going to race, and that I could actually exhale and relax, and not—I mean, without knowing it, you're like, 
you know, you're just ready to go all the time. And you just, that's, that's all you are. You're always thinking about the bike. I want to do this, that, that, that. And, um, I got a good story about Colin, by the way, but I'm not going to tell it. But anyway, Colin, it was, <laughs> he's a good oh. friend of mine too. I mean, we had the, actually there's a good story here. We're playing golf in New Hampshire. Me and his wife and and Colin, we're all just playing a little golf before the race weekend, and this guy hits a golf ball into us, and I'm like, what the hell was that for? So you know, um, and then he does it again. So I'm like, well, that that doesn't work, you know. So I, I confront the guy. I say, hey, what's what's your problem? He goes, well, you're driving a car where you're not allowed to drive it, you know? So I'm like, well, you're going to hit me with a golf ball and hurt me because you don't like where I'm driving the golf cart? And then I go and berate him because I want to get in a fight now. I'm like, okay, let's just do this. You know, let's, because I'm really mad about it. And I'm using explosive and everything. But I don't think that's a good language. You're in front of a lady. And I looked at him and looked at her. And she went like this. And I'm like, oh, I have you. And it, 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 nothing came of it. But it was funny because my uncle was laughing. He was like, man, you're nuts. And I'm like, well, you know, try to hit a golf ball on me. I mean, come on. You can't do that. Especially when you admit you did on purpose. So, you know, like I said, we all hang out. The guys that you see that you like are, are really good people. You know, they're, they're just they're fun guys to be around. Yeah, they are. The actual interview we did with Colin, we were drinking shots every time he said an explicit. Yeah. So the quality of the interview declined. Around the hour and a half that we talked. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm glad you're looking at it. You know, it might have got better, a little bit looser. <laughs> we did. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, but one time was when we were out, again, Gobert, then me and everything. That was, we were at the Daytona testing. And then we barely made it back to our hotels. It was hilarious. Brought Colin, Colin had a flight to Australia that that, that morning. We showed up. His dad's looked like, I'm like, look what we found. He's like, oh, my God. All right, thanks for it. All right, guys. And we just ran around, and so we we, we did have a lot of fun, and uh, nobody got seriously hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do, do you want to talk about more contemporary days, Gal? Uh, or I, I have a question. Yeah, I, I I was I was going to ask a bunch of questions on on um, the Harley Davidson Superbike in '94, but I, oh, yeah. I, do we still have time, or are we? Yeah. Okay. Well, we still have time. So, so real quick. Let's get it real quick. All right. The Harley Davidson. Uh, how do you like racing that? You think Harley would ever go back and make another one? Uh, what did they learn from it? Well, I hope so. I think they learned a lot, and I'd like to. I'd love to see them try again. That'd be great. They're a great bunch of people. When I signed with them, I had a little bit of instant regret because they couldn't start the motorcycle. But uh, <laughs> and we had all the problems that we had. There was, you know, but we went from that to you know Brainerd. If I had a pit board and I would have known I was pulling away from the guys, I would have probably backed it down just a hair, you know, because I was really on Brian's ragged edge. That's why I rode off the track. But I went from 12th and then came back up to second place. And I got beaten by two guys you'll never hear from, Tori Corser and Jamie James. And they just, I just did a little slight come out of the chicane and they both stuffed by me. And I was like, oh my God, how lucky is that? And it turned out I did the right thing because I started pushing again to try to catch Colin because I thought he was slowing down too much because he had it in the bag, but turned out he had a transmission problem. So I would thought like, if I can get close enough, I could sneak him and maybe win this thing. You know, I should, I should have probably settled for a second, but you know, who does that? And um, so anyway, that was, that was a great race. Mid-Ohio, the shifter fell off. The bike was actually perfect. Somebody forgot the safety wire to bolts. And I'm leading Pascal Picot, and we're having a great race. I'm riding my, you know, what off. And I thought there was my best chance to win. Not Brainer with the big straight, but the thing I didn't comment on is number one and number two corner. They're such 
difficult corners, but I could go around there wide open on the Harley, and that would just pass everybody on the outside, dirt tracking through there. It was, I almost stayed with them. So there was always a part of me that wanted to stay there because the money was pretty close to Honda, but I was like, man, I don't know. Do I, if I signed again and they can't make this bike work on every weekend, I'm really going to, you know. And there was only one class, whereas the Honda was two class, and and it turned out the bike, they did a great job. I mean, Doug Chandler got on it and Pascal Picot, and they all had some good races. I love the chassis of that uh, the bike. I mean, I could brake deeper than anything, well, mine because my bike was slow and heavy, but still, it, it handled great. I brake really deep. I mean, a good story is we can ask Steve Scheibe. He's a good guy, great guy. We motocross together and everything, hung out. He's a really good guy. Anyway, um, at Laguna Seca, I did some pretty good laps on that bike, the old bike. The next year, you, people don't understand. You can ask Steve, and he'll tell you. The bike was like 20 pounds lighter and 30 more horsepower. It was like unbelievable what they did in that off-season. So at the Laguna Seca, I'm out there riding, and Doug, you know, I said the time, the year before, 94. In 95, I think it was Doug, and he goes around there and laps. And Doug Chandler is the king of Laguna Seca. He was so hard to beat there. Um, and he comes in the pits, and he goes, what time did Miguel do here last year? And he goes... Steve shows him, and, and Doug Chandler goes, man, he really wanted it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and that was another compliment. That's like the John Kaczynski thing. You know, you hear these things, and like, oh, my God. That's so, that's a big compliment to me, you know? Anyway, so that that that's my Harley Davidson story. It was really cool. And and then, you know, the thing that hurts a little bit, you find out some people cheat, like in 600, they use the wrong magnesium wheels instead of using the steel the OEM wheels. And when you find that out, you're like, well, how come nobody at Dunlop spilled the beans, you know? Anyway, but, uh, and then you lose a championship. You don't lose just a race. You lose a championship. You're like, okay. But, you know, it's not, uh, it is it is what it is. Those, those are the little things. The, the, the other thing was was bigger. I think with Suzuki, that, that was bad for the sport. It was bad for everybody. And But, uh, anyway. There you go. All right. MotoGP predictions? Um, I think, well, I mean, obviously, obviously Mark's going to be a the big part of it. Uh, if Mark can stop himself from being Mark as far as like trying to not just win, but destroy everybody by 20 seconds, or maybe if the, he gets a really good setup, if he can just not race against his ghost and just raise the competition and make sure he gets more points than other, I think he's going to win it. Uh, but I think that uh, Battistini, you know, all those guys over there right now, the, the, the current world champion and uh, Martinez, they're going to put up a great fight. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be some some serious good racing. Let's see what KTM comes up with too, also, and and Honda. Honda is not laying down. You know, they're stepping up their game. So it'd be ironic if they 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 got a bike working for those guys, and they and they come back and then win. So yeah, I'm just really I watch every one of them. And I love it and uh, looking forward to the new season. Did, Same did, thing with Supercross, which is just down the road and Anaheim coming up. Did you pick up the phone and say, "Hey Honda, I know what's wrong. Let me help you." Or are you still collaborating with them? Well, I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna brag too much. No, I'm gonna do. But when I was there, the bikes were pretty good. Uh, the 600 bike that they used, the the before they had that 600 Honda, the the stock bike for. Well, that was from our Formula Extreme bike that was developed here in America. They did a lot of the, the a lot of the stuff we did here was testing. Everything racing is testing for something better, and so we did that. And the super bikes were pretty good at that time, and uh, I was a big part of that. So, you know. Yeah, sure. I, I think it, maybe. I don't know. You know, it's you only remember the good stuff. That's one thing I learned about twenty-four hour racing. When I did twenty-four hours, and I was the fastest guy, and would win, and I won some races. And man, 20, getting up at two a.m. to go, you know, full throttle, freezing rain at Lamar or Spa, you, you start saying to yourself, "What am I doing here?" You know. But if you take 
But this is serious. If you take a year or two years off and they say, Miguel, you want to do it 24 hours? Well, yeah. Then you show up at the 24 hours and 2 a.m. rolls around again or 3 a.m. They wake you up from the sound sleep from 20 minutes and you have from the other guy. And you go on the darkness and they smell the oil everywhere. And I'm like, what am I doing here? So uh, so my point <laughs> to that story is you always remember the, the, I do. You always remember the good, the good things. So uh, maybe, you know. Well, well, you still fun. you still have the fire. Obviously, talking to you, you still have the fire, and and you have, you have the physical fitness as well. Judging by your hundred mile rides that you post on yeah. Instagram, and I was like, is this guy crazy? I mean, you go you go Red Rock, you go Blue Diamond, you go back Summerlin, and and I was I was like a hundred miles in like six hours. Come on, that's insane. Yeah, my I did my record this year, 152 miles, nine hours and 48 minutes sitting on the bicycle seat there. That was fun. I figured what the hell I want to. I always wanted to do a long one, so did it. <laughs> uh, okay, I got the last question because we're we're really running over, uh, and that's a self-serving question. Uh, what's the best place to eat in Las Vegas? You know, in Summerlin, uh, if you like Italian, North Italia. There's a really good restaurant. Uh, pasta alla vodka, fantastic. Uh, for steak, Echo and Rig, you got some really good steaks, a nice ambiance there. Oh, too. my God, we got a reservation uh, for tonight. Yeah, good. Yeah. And Sattabello's, which is a chain restaurant, you got the Diviallo pizza, but add extra prosciutto on the machine to cut it and to put it on the pizza, fantastic pizza. Those, those are the spots. And the Yard House, of course. You got a half-yard beer and have the mac and cheese. It is very good. <laughs> You'll see me there. Have you been to? Um, I'm going to Tatori to go see them at the Christmas parade. So you know, taking the family there. If you like Italian, oh, yeah. have you been to my mother's house in Sun City? No, I have not. Okay, go, have Google it. It's it's Is that this, a local business. It's a local business. It's this guy that's like I think an I old did. I went there. an old mobster that just sings all those Sinatra songs and and, and tells Sinatra yeah. stories and yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah we we went there we had dinner there because. Uh, I go over and work, and that seminars there. She work, you know, bounce around and does shows and stuff, and uh, for for work. And we went there. Yeah, there was a guy singing. Everything is awesome. It's good stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be discovered in Vegas. There's more than just gambling and stuff. You know, there's Red Rock, like you said, there's cycling, mountain riding, mountain biking is terrific out here too. So that's why I'm here. You know, I came here to save some money from taxes in Canada and fell in love with the place, and I'm still here today. Yeah, yeah. What was the restaurant you and I went to? Um, when we had the we went we went to Echo and Rig. Okay, that's what I thought. Very good place. Yeah, yeah. we have reservations yep. for tonight. So if you jump in the car and get here, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or just yeah. drive to Burbank and and grab a plane, which is faster. <laughs> yeah, Burbank. I lived there for a little while. It was fun. Yeah, there's no flights anywhere out of you can't go anywhere without connecting out of Burbank. Yes. I prefer Miami a lot more. You can go everywhere from there, but over here, very difficult. You have to go to LAX. Well, that's the beauty of Vegas. You know, the McCarran Airport, I refuse to call it Harry Reid, but um, <laughs> and, you know, it's close and you can go anywhere from there, you know. It's pretty fun. That, yeah, that Terminal 4. Yeah, Terminal 4 is pretty nice. Huh? Terminal 4 is pretty nice. Yep. I'm trying to think of a local. We almost went there today and uh, yesterday. Mark Ritchie. Mark Ritchie is beside the John Cutters on Foothill and Charleston. Little hole in the wall. It's a New York pasta place. 
I mean, waitress is definitely from New York and everything, and it's it's great food. And I mean, you can go in there and out and under a hundred bucks, no problem. With four, I mean, it's great food. Mark Bridges, yeah, Mark Bridges. Nice. Oh, we'll we'll try it. There you go. All right, Nabil. Any more questions? All right. Uh, yeah, World Superbike. So we haven't talked at all about that, and I mean, I mean, Ducati seems to have technically found something, and they're dominating everywhere. But uh, what are you, what are you, what are your predictions for coming year? Man, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to see uh, Jonathan Ray on the Yamaha, right? So I think it's going to be some fantastic racing. Um, hopefully, he adapts to it. I'm sure he will. He's a, he's a talent, such a a guy, and. Uh, uh, Rogu, whatever his name is, I have trouble pronouncing. I mean, uh, uh, oh, Rogu. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I know, I love it. It's good, it's good race, and it's and, and yeah, of course the, the, the Ducatis, and uh, uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting. But I, I, I'm sorry to say, I think the uh, the, the I mean, MotoGP obviously is going to be, especially with Mark with doing that big move, and uh, it's going to be very. Uh, it's going to be. I mean, 2024 is promising to be a hell of a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I mean, quite we got Tomac coming back in Supercross too, and Motocross. Eli Tomac. So that's another big story again. Jed Lawrence, and uh, yeah, no, it's good time to be a, a couch sportsman watching motorcycle racing. They've been come up with a ton of new models for 2024. The manufacturers. We 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 did an episode of that where uh, <clears throat> Rennie just broke down like 20, 30 bikes for us, but. You know, with, between racing and the new models, um, motorcycles are, you know, 2024 is going to be a really good year. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking, I've I got some stuff more on the side. I'm not sure if I could say it, so I'm not going to say it. But I was talking to a lot of important people, and I said, listen, look at all these little razors and electric bike. What I think is good about the electric bike is you see a lot of kids now riding with electric bikes. Well, guess what? When they grow up, they get bigger. Like, hey, why don't I try a real bike? So I, th I really see a renaissance coming in for the motorcycle. I mean, there's nothing better for freedom of the mind and the body is ride a motorcycle. You got to learn how to do it right. You got to learn how to be able to maneuver. You got to know how to look around. There is responsibility to them. The more freedom you have, the more responsibility you need. It's like rock climbing. You got to know what you're doing. If you're not, it's kind of a problem. Big time. So, but I think there's a big renaissance motorcycle coming up. Sales are going to hopefully can be coming back up and, and it's uh, all going to go the right way. And hopefully I can get involved somehow someday into racing again. I'd love to commentate on the races. I'd love to be uh, somebody would have like what Ben Spees put together. They put together around him. If something like that would come along, maybe I'd love to to be part of it. And if I'm not, then I'll just watch it and do like everybody else critiquing. <laughs> Start a YouTube. Your experience should be great on it. But I want to mm -hmm. write down this. So would, This was an epic. You said uh, the more responsibilities you, the, the more freedom you have, the more responsibility you have. That, yeah. That's a saying for the ages. And, and that goes really outside of motorcycling too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I'm a big believer in that. And I want, if possible, if everybody can have the freedoms that we enjoyed as kids growing up. I mean, riding bicycle without a helmet, no problem. Jumping, doing this. I used to have a shotgun and I, you know, my dad showed me how to use it. And I was a little kid. I had to make sure I didn't hit the nose into the dirt. But I had that freedom because I, I, I took the responsibility. How my dad taught it to me, and then never had a problem. Never had a problem with guns. Never had a problem with motorcycles, snowmobiles, and so on and so forth. So, and, and and like I was saying, is I just want the kids today to be able to have that. I mean, yeah. I, I want them to be educated, you know, and and then do it, do it right, and enjoy. It because if you do it, then there's nothing better for the soul. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. I mean, in Florida, we ride without helmets. It's 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 optional. Yeah, we, we never I never rode with helmets. And then I I saw the impact and the issues, and I'm like, I was crazy. Put a helmet on, even if you're not required to. Yeah, and that's a choice. That's beautiful. I mean, when I see guys riding without a helmet, the first thing I think is like, how hard is on your ear? I hope you got earplugs in there because the wind noise is crazy. <laughs> and I yep. like to ride my little 50 scooter sometimes because you don't have to wear a helmet either. And it's 50 cc under the speed limit. And I, just, I don't use it to go down to the strip, but I'll use it around Summerlin if I go to uh, Mark Ritchie's and or uh, DeMarco's also and Charles. I mean, the little plays are not too far where I can go around and make eye contact with people and and, uh, and get around. Sometimes I'll do that. It's, you know, why not? It's fun. Yeah. You still do track days, road racing? I would if when people call me and they have a bike and whatever. If I can, you know, they say if we want really want to do this, then like I said, I call Honda and they lend me a motorcycle. They were very gracious with that. And I love that Fireblade. I think it was a Fireblade. Not too sure, but it was, you know, a fantastic handling machine. Uh, did the video with that, and this Kawasaki was the same. I mean, Kawasaki was really, really, very gracious to me too, and they lent me a great 750. And and like I said, that's where I discovered like going, wow, it's a little bit easier doing this with this thing. But at that level, you know, like, right? Next weekend, I don't know. I don't know the. I go to a tr- you go to a track day, uh, a track day weekend, and and people don't take lap times. I'm like, why are you guys here? Take some lap times. I mean, let's see what's who's doing what. <laughs> it's fun. You can uh, you can get the racer onto a track day, but you can't get the racing out of the track guy. So anyway, no, that was that was fun. I enjoyed it. No, but it's a good learning tool. I don't know how you. I mean, in business, we measure everything, right? To to be able to make it better. Otherwise, you don't know if it's better. So I don't know how you you apply something new that you've learned on a turn or or, or do something different. Then how do you know if it's better or not unless you're tracking your lap time? Yeah. I'm a big believer in performance. Management. No, exactly. Absolutely. And it's fun. You know, I mean, obviously it can lead to, you know, crashes because you start pushing more. You want to be faster than your friend. I don't have that problem. That's their problem. But, uh, I, you know, why not? Like you said, if you do a little bit of modification and I mean, I, I, there was a friend of mine, Jack Pfeiffer, still a friend of mine at Daytona. I was watching him ride around in the nineties, early nineties. And I looked at his bike and I was like, man, what the, so I went over to his pit. And I jumped on the bike and I dialed the suspension and he went from like 19th to like fifth fastest. But then he kept coming around like, can you help me with this? And I'm like, dude, no, I got my own work. I got to do I did that. <laughs> Good luck. You know, keep it going. And he actually finished fourth at the Daytona 200, the year that me, Ben and Curtis, I think it was uh, us or was it Nikki? We got an Honda, got the full podium and Jack Pfeiffer got fourth on his own, like pure privateer. So that was a hell of an accomplishment for him. Unfortunately, it didn't lead to bigger, better things. I mean, he kept racing and did a lot of winning, you know, on the West Coast. And he's a good guy. But uh, yeah, that one day, like that, that's my point. I went over there and helped him, and just dropped like almost a second and a half a lap. So you got to you got to keep the lap times on. Yeah, I like to help. <laughs> so, what would be your advice for track riders? Like in general, what to focus on, what to get better at? You know, just trail brake riding, you know, try to make your corner speed a little bit better. But, you know, again, you got to set up the bike for that. Don't be afraid to change the bike. Change the bike. If it's bad, so what? You messed a couple of laps or maybe a session, come back, change it back. Have fun with it. Why not do that? And once you hit something that you feel real comfortable, you're going fast and you're happy, then good. Then just keep pushing that. Put new tires on, get the tire warmers. Try to maybe a little bit different line. Try something. That's why if you do lap times, like you said, you could just try changing your line a little bit, apexing a little later or a little sooner, or carrying more speed, or braking a little harder, and see if you go faster. You know, and uh, I think it's just something that keeps you coming back. 
And I think that's that's the way to do it. Don't be and afraid if of you're really good. Yeah. And if you're really good and really fast, do not race on the streets. Get signed up, get a local license, do a local race, get your license and have fun. Because it's just as much fun racing on the weekend that it is doing a track day. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yep. Terrific. Gal, anything else? No, I think I think we got it. I think uh well, you got it? And plus, got plus plus plus. Plus, plus, plus. And well, I was, I was going to say six hours, but no, nobody has, you, no, yeah. you don't have the time. I, I was going to say, I was going to say, um, the, the beauty of, of today's technology is that everybody can, um, go on the internet and say what they want to say. And you obviously have a lot to say. So I suggest maybe you be, be more active on YouTube, maybe start a YouTube channel. I try. Well, I'm, you know, I like to do the podcast like you guys do or something like do my own commentating on the MotoGP because there's something sometimes. There's some racing where I got to just like turn the volume down because it makes me want to have a brain explode, like, you know, scanners in the movie. But, uh, uh, and I think I could do a real good job and bring a lot of different perspective to it, a little bit of color commenting. But we'll see. Hopefully, the future is going to be brighter and we can do some stuff like that and just, you know, keep the sport going, keep getting bigger, better. Okay. You know, that could be an interesting idea if you broadcasted the race while talking over the comments so mute the comments from the commentators and do your own commentary because i think that would be a lot more fun a lot more interesting and, and, and a lot more well, you can have commentators like the, it should be a commentator race or debate you know you can listen to the tv one and have an, and the earphone on this one and go hey he said this he said that and be kind of yeah. you know you can get a different perspective on it hey i watch tv on my phone and i watch my tv and i'm like we're multitasking here boom 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 <laughs> You should try that. That could be a lot of fun. Gal's staff meeting. (laughs) (laughs) After we're done. Okay, staff meeting. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. There was another episode of Edge Grey Podcast, episode number 17, um, with the legendary number 17, uh, Miguel Duhamel or Duhamel, uh, and just, just call him God. (laughs) <laughs> no, no one lower. <laughs> <laughs>